Each one of us wants to feel loved. We seek a partner. We navigate dating introductions to hopefully find someone to share our lives with. We commit to a relationship and try to make it work. We fail. And we find the courage and energy to start over. We all want to be loved. We seek love. We find someone to love. Then what happens next? I'm excited to rejoin our conversation with Richard Begdonis, where he talks about his life after the big kiss and the quick marriage after 12 days. Let's hear what Richard has to say about the last 10 years of his marriage to Tina. How did you know so quickly uh, that Tina was your, your partner and going to be your life partner? The first kiss was merely setting the stage that I am interested in having, uh, uh, you know, having an intimate relationship with you uh, the kiss is obviously a signal for intimacy and the opportunity to leverage that first dinner and that first date to show this is what, these are the component parts that make up who I am. And she did the same. And we were both very transparent about it, which was really great. It was refreshing. And when we ended up going to Mexico and I saw that we could travel together and how well we traveled together, even under some really awkward circumstances. Uh, I just knew. Just, uh, she was on the beach. She was talking about seizing the day Carpe Diem and I jumped on a knee and I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy. Every time I tell it, I always say, you're going to think <laughs> this is totally crazy. And in fact, I think there are some similarities to my friends who have had arranged marriages mm. by Indian parents to the concept of only knowing somebody for a short period of time and then not casually dating them, not seeing them once or twice a week, Straight marriage, move in together, start aligning your lives together, and figuring out the rest along the way. Wow. And so how did that, uh, how did that come about? You did get married on the beach yes. uh, in Mexico after 12 or 14 days. 12 days. 12 days. Yeah. And, uh, and you set your boats together. You, you, you had the apartment in Zilker, I'm assuming. And so I had a condo. I, I, I had a house in Zilker. Tina had a house in East Austin. And so we actually moved into Tina's house. Mm -hmm. When I say we, I mean George, Clifford, and me. So the and two dogs and I. Yeah. While the last few things were buttoned up at the Zilker house, the, uh, you know, we, we needed a, a, a closet. Oh, and right, the was, closets. And then there was a little bit of uh, landscaping, and there was a touch of some floor work. The last few little pieces to the puzzle. And, and then we moved back to the Zilker house. Oh, okay. Which was, at that point, new to both of us because I had mm -hmm. never lived there with closets mm. and finished this and finished that and the landscaping. Nice. 
and uh, we burned the boats. She moved in. We got rid of the house in East Austin, and we were running full speed. So, so illuminate that metaphor a little bit of burning the boats. Tell me, tell me what that meant. It meant that we're not looking back. We're only looking forward, and in fact, just like um, I believe it was the Greeks who would go to a battle, and they would pull up their boats on shore and burn them, and saying, like, we're not retreating. Yeah. We only have one way to go. And that was what Tina and I oriented ourselves around, which is we're not looking back. There's no escape hatch. There's no secret door to go out. We can only go forward, and we can only go forward with each other. Okay. And you knew you had probably discussed that you both at some point wanted children. Um, Yes. Did that happen on the beach? Do you think that discussion happened? I'm not exactly sure where where it happened. We looked at it kind of like a Venn diagram. Okay. Tina knew she wanted to have kids. In a previous life, I didn't want to have kids. And so part of going through counseling was to understand why and see if there was a change that could be made in me. And I did see the change and what was possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I looked at the Venn diagram and realized that I was okay having kids and I was okay not having kids. Right. Tina was okay having kids. So we had that, that little chunk of overlap in the Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. The other thing about burning the boats was an agreement that we made with each other because marriage is about for better or for worse. And of course you're going to stick with it if it's for better. My goodness, who wouldn't? Oftentimes, it's the for worse Mm. that gets people. And even though they committed to for worse, they really didn't execute on for worse. With Tina, the agreement that we had and that we still have today is we will try to work out something between ourselves if there's an issue. And if we can't and we're at odds with each other, we go and we schedule an appointment with Jeanette. Who is the counselor that she and I go to who can listen to what Tina says, hear the underlying message she's trying to get across, do the same thing with me, and allow us to hear it from the other person's perspective of what they were intending the message to be, not necessarily what the message they delivered was. Right. Because I think there's a big discrepancy in what our intention was and what the perception was on the other end. And so how did that how did that go? What happened and and you 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 adjusted your Venn diagrams overlapped and and uh, decided that children were part of the future. Children were part of the future and we are 10 years into our marriage. Right. We have a seven and a half year old mm-hmm. in Alec. Uh, he actually has a May, a May birthday so it's a little bit um, he's a little bit older than seven and a half so that that obviously shows that the first few years Mm-hmm. We were figuring each other out. We were having a whole lot of fun with each other. Right. Uh, you know, we took this trip to Spain and France where we had no reservations. We rented a car, and for three weeks we just drove across France. <laughs> and if we found a town that we thought was neat, we'd just go and get a hotel room that night and then continue on. And, nice. And it was, it was all these adventures that we went on that we realized, you know, yeah, okay, I think it's time for us to to look at kids because mm-hmm. we wanted to also make sure that Tina wasn't putting herself at risk by having a child when she was a lot older. 
Right. So we had a child when she was younger. Right. And uh, and that was a really exciting thing to have happen. Sure. It changed the relationship from from we to us. And I know that's a very mild distinction. It was we with Tina and me, and it was us with Tina, Alec, and me. And now Tina, Alec, Sky, and me. Right. And so the agreement that you formed as you were coming off the beach about staying intentional, staying in the marriage, that that the the marriage was solid and everything else would would come to pass, but you guys were staying married. Um, how has that served this this process of becoming parents and the challenges of parenting? Um, is that is that agreement still something you guys? Uh, I assume you don't have to discuss it much because just, yeah. you you came to it at one point. And that's y'all's understanding. We don't have to discuss it at all. It's something we embrace and enjoy. We don't enjoy it when we're at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. What we enjoy is how it orients us to looking at the path for a solution rather than trying to figure out what the path we should take is at that time. Each issue that comes up could be seen, diagnosed, and solved a totally different way. That means that we're constantly trying to do things that work and don't work. We know that talking to a counselor works. We come out of it feeling better. We don't feel 100%. It takes that time after we've had the issue, we've worked through it, and then we've made amends with each other through our actions that we, we fully heal. The opportunity to have the counselor Help us get to that first 50% of feeling better right. is so critical compared to what it would be if we were trying to figure it out on our own. Sure. And figure it out when we're emotional, right. which never leads to really quality outcomes when we can't use you know, our intelligence and we use our emotions instead. Yeah, yeah. And so that, essentially there's no exit. Right. So the solutions that you guys want to figure out for a disagreement that you're having, the fracturing of the relationship is not one of those paths. That's just not uh, an acceptable path. So all the solutions have to be joint, have to be collaborative, and have to be moving forward as a we or as an us. Um, That that is the more intentional piece. So it, it almost, especially when you go to the us, and you lift it up to include the children, mm-hmm. right? It's much bigger than you and Tina now. Yes. It's it's exponentially larger by four. Yes. And if you include the, the dogs, you know, maybe they're another half. <laughs> so, so that intentional, conscious, connected, we are staying together that I can only assume is is shared on both sides with you and Tina, has been one of those bedrocks within which you decide to form solutions, agreements, new agreements, based on the fact, the known fact, that you guys are staying together. Yes. That's pretty amazing. Thanks. That's, Thanks. That's, uh, and we show it to our children. This is one of the things that I really love about the relationship with Tina. Mm-hmm is 
we, the two of us, we can get into an argument with each other. And sometimes the kids might even know that we're at odds with each other. And what we do is we, we make sure that the children hear us make up. And we actually make up in front of the children. Mm. Tina, I'm so sorry that I said that. Will you accept my apology? Yes. Oh, Richard, I said this. Will you accept my apology? Yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. And, and the, the children not only see us get into a disagreement, they see us get into an alignment as well. Um, so you actually make up in front of the children, which is a beautiful practice because you're demonstrating and you're showing them how it works, how a collaborative relationship works. And they can use those skills in their everyday lives, obviously with one another, but really in the broader world, you're giving them wonderful, loving examples of how to navigate a relationship and a healthy one. It's role modeling. Yeah. And most importantly, they know, you can ask the children, if we have to apologize to someone who's in the family, a true apology <clears throat> includes a hug, a kiss, and I'm sorry, will you accept my apology and the other person saying, yes, I will. Wow. If the other person says, no, I won't, that's an indication that they need some space and time to be able to accept the apology. And then we just step back for a moment, we give them the space, and then we come back eventually and ask them, would you be willing to accept my apology now? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And for people that aren't in our direct family, an apology includes all the same things minus the kiss. Mm -hmm. So when you see the two kids get upset with each other, Alec will walk over to Skye and say, I'm sorry, will you accept my apology? Skye says yes, Alec gives him a hug and a kiss. Nice. It's the most beautiful thing, and it's something wow. that is based on an intentional mode that Tina and I have for showing the children when things get into trouble and how to get out of the trouble. So Richard, you talked last time about your life's purpose once you had these two children dramatically shifted in a, in a very spiritual way that one of the main reasons that you're on the planet is to raise these two healthy young men. Yes. And so modeling that behavior for them and giving them those skills throughout the course of their entire life shows them such a, a powerful model of how to be in a loving and intentional relationship as they go forward. Is that part of that practice? Is that an, another one of these big intentions that helps you set course for, for your life? It absolutely is. And it's the same for Tina. It's an agreement that we have. We understand we are raising adults and there are lessons that they need to be taught and there are role modeling um, aspects to what Tina and I do that the children pick up on daily. I can tell you that the role modeling that Tina and I have is much different than my parents had. And in fact, thank goodness, it right? took a lot of reprogramming <laughs> to come to the ability to have this type of relationship. Because had I solely gone on my role modeling as a child with what my parents saw, I would not have had a relationship. Right. And I most certainly would not have had a relationship with Tina. Mm -hmm. She challenges me, and I trust that I challenge her to be better people 
to show our children what they should strive for to be the best adults that they can be. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Now there's uh, there's a, a I don't know what you how you refer to it a, a major event life event happened a couple years ago for you, um, and I wanted to open that up for a little bit of sharing uh, when you when you learned of your cancer, um, how that challenged, strengthened, renewed, how how did that transform uh, your life, and how is it reflected today and and what's going on? There was a large change when I received word from my uh, gastroenterologist that I had won a golden lottery ticket because I had cancer. I couldn't figure out why he connected the two together. And now today I sit here and say, he was absolutely right. He had no idea why. He was absolutely right. He called me and said that you have mantle cell lymphoma which is a rare form of cancer. And we need to get you into an oncologist right away because it's a very aggressive form of cancer. And I remember leaving my office, walking upstairs to Tina and telling her that I have cancer. Mm. And she and I immediately went to Dr. Google and freaked ourselves out. And we were in pain together. We were sharing our pain together. And the strength of our relationship was shown in how we dealt with it. We eliminated the negativity. We focused on executing. We need to get me to the best person in the world who can solve this. And it turned out that person happened to be in Houston in a Dr. Wong at MD Anderson. And what the gastroenterologist did not know, and the reason why he said you pulled a golden lottery ticket, he thought it was just because we caught it early. Oh no, it happened to be that this Dr. Wong had been working on a clinical trial for 15 years with two different pharmaceutical companies that needed to work together in order to have a positive outcome. They each had a pharmaceutical that when coupled together, I was the very first patient in the clinical trial, and I was cured within 56 days. Patient zero. Patient one. Patient one. Patient one. Wow. And he had no idea, because this was months later that this actually happened. And when Tina and I went through this, and we told our children about it, we were stronger together than either one of us would have been apart trying to go through this alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that foundation of we have something going on. We didn't hide it from the children. In fact, kind of like, uh, what was it? Uh, the hunt for Red October. We're not gonna run from the torpedoes, turn into the torpedoes, run straight through them, mm. hit them before they have a chance to explode. Right. We did that. If you would have asked my, my son, Alec, does your dad have cancer? He would say, oh yeah, absolutely. And he's doing great. Mm. And then when the cancer was cured, we all celebrated. And if people said, hey, your dad had cancer, he says, oh, yeah, my dad had cancer. He's fine. Right. It's helped him also with the children in his class who have had parents that have been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we live in a case where that's a, a fairly common thing. And in his class um, that happened, 
And he's able to be there to provide an air of understanding and leadership to another child. And we're talking about seven-year-old children wow. helping each other cope with the C word. Wow. Wow. So our family's spirituality and coming together under crises really helped us power through it. And it's become a positive. Wow. And you're cancer-free at the moment? I am pure, 100% Richard, zero cancer. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, last, just to sort of give that long view, you, you met the woman on the beach, you decided she was the one, you've intentionally been in marriage with her and become parents. Um, what's the, what's the life lesson? Where are you going from here? And, and what are you, what are you taking with you? The children are on a great trajectory. We are constantly reevaluating how we are working with our kids on a weekly by weekly basis. Mm -hmm. With children, it just seems to happen where as soon as you figure them out, they change another variable. And they... All right. So, Richard, you've told us such a lovely story about uh, how you and Tina met, how your intentional kiss changed the course of both of your lives. And now you have two beautiful children. You've come through some great challenges. And you've got great challenges ahead, of course. What is the next agreement? Or what is the next chapter and life lesson that you, that you carry forward? You know, I, I, a good friend of mine, Bajoy Goswami, said that it's important to spend the first half of your life being successful. And to spend the second half of your life being relevant. Hmm. And I believe for Tina and for me, we are starting to make that shift into becoming relevant. And the way we're doing it is Tina is getting a master's degree at Harvard right. and is writing a book on the, the challenges that co-founders have in their relationship while building a company. I'm focused on sharing my experience going through the process with cancer, the way that I was able to meditate, eat, recover, and work out through it. And we're both trying to help others make all new and exciting mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes we did. Sure. And here's the recipe that we have created. In Tina's case, it's a recipe for co-founders to, to work on solutions. And for me, it's people who have um, a diagnosis of cancer and how they can conceptualize that into a positive and become stronger through that process because I know I did. And again, I'll, I'll say it. We're doing this in front of the children. They know we're doing it. Right. And we're showing them that not only is it possible, it's important to do. Namaste. That was great. Super. Thank you. My pleasure. What a lovely story Richard and Tina have given us. A story of love, of strength in the face of adversity. And I love Richard's statement. We were stronger together than either one of us would have been alone. I'm John McElhenney. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the whole parent.